Let me ask you, by just a way of launching out into this, if you're a follower of Christ, you call yourself a Christian, does your behavior matter? They say yes. What about you all over there? You know, when you understand, and it is a little bit of a tricky thing here, when you understand how awesome the grace of God is, and that you're completely delivered, Doesn't that sound wonderful? You're just completely delivered from sin. You're you're completely free from the penalty of sin. Well, the impression could be left that, you know, what you do from that point forward just really doesn't matter a whole lot. But I I want you to know that the last five chapters of the book of Romans... Paul spins addressing how the life of the Christ follower or the Christ living in us influences our actions, how we function in our society, how we function in the church, how we function as a Christ follower. And as we've seen over the last two weeks in the first two verses of Romans 12, he starts the section by urging us to present our lives as sacrifices to God. He's made the case that the gospel of Christ is so life-giving, it so transforms us, it so frees us, that our only logical response would be, I'm all in with you, God. I'm not going to withhold anything. I'm not going to seek my own way. I'm not going to try to get you to help me with my way. I'm all in with whatever it is that you have for me. I, I am a living sacrifice for you. Verse 2 says that we're nonconformists. We're no longer going to see the world through the lens of the world. We're going to be seeing it through God's eyes. We're not going to process our life through this whole worldly system of dog-eat-dog, try hard to get ahead. and That's just not going to be our mindset. It's not going to be the way we process through life. Our minds are renewed to see life through the eyes of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus and His grace. We've gained this godly perspective and it ultimately leads to a change in the way we act. And so for the remainder of the book of Romans, that's where Paul lives. And it's where we're going to live for quite some time. Paul is going to be describing what this redeemed, gospel-infected, Jesus-centered life looks like in the real world. And we're going to start here with verse 3, just this one verse, and then we'll go to 4 and 5 later in the sermon. But here's verse 3. And don't you love the first phrase? For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Amen? Again, they're outdoing you over here. Okay? There you go. You ought to, uh, well... You kind of threw me there, Andy. I I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. We're just going to kind of dissect that a little bit. The Apostle Paul opens with basically giving his credentials to be able to say what he's going to say. And he says, the only reason I'm saying this is because God's grace is upon me. God's grace has called me. God's grace has given me the place, the calling of apostle, the authority to speak into your life. I'm not telling you because I'm better than you. 
He doesn't want them thinking that he is some high and mighty arrogant person telling them not to be high and mighty and arrogant, in other words. I know how he feels. <laughs> you know, as a pastor, as a preacher, I tell you the same thing. It's, it's through the grace that God has just given to me that I say what I say to you. I mean, the things I say about God's word are simply because he's called me to do so. He, call, he holds me responsible to give you what he has said to me about the scriptures. And as I prepare each week, I, I want you to know I grapple with these scriptures. I wrestle with these scriptures in my own life. God, what are you saying to me? How, what are you communicating to me about the way I'm living? And if I don't let his word accomplish its work in me, then how can I really pass it on to you? And I, I, I think that's where Paul is here. Paul knows I've got some things to say to you. And I want you to receive them. And so I want you to know the only reason I'm saying them to you is because God has given me grace and callings to be able to say these things. And the verse says to not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And I guess the point I would make here is this. And we're going to put it up on the screen. God has made you, uniquely you, accept it and walk in it. Amen? You know, God has made you who you are. He's given you specific gifts. He's given you specific callings. He's given you a specific path. And, and we, we get into difficulties when we say, I know that God has given me specific callings and specific gifts, but I like that guy's calling and gifts better. You ever been there? I much rather would have his. And I'm just going to put this square peg in a round hole and I'm going to make it work. You know, at first glance, you could think that it's all about this. This verse is all about not being prideful, but humble. And the implication of it is there. Yeah, we ought not be prideful. We ought to be humble. But that's not really the context of what he's saying here. This is more of an aspirational context. In fact, I'm going to put up on the board another translation of this same verse by a man named Zane Hodges. He was a professor at DTS, Dallas Seminary, and he translates this verse like this. I say then, through the grace that has been given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to aspire beyond that to which one ought to aspire, but to aspire to what is sensible. Each person as God has distributed to him faith's portion. And if you read on in the passage, you'll see it's about spiritual gifts. The idea is that God has chosen for each person, each follower of his, a role to play in the body of Christ. And some are going to have positions of greater responsibility and others are going to have positions every bit as meaningful, but perhaps not as noticeable. And there are really three parts to the verse, and I want to Take them one at a time. The first one is this. Don't aspire for what you think is a greater position. Don't look at somebody else's gift and say, well, that's what I want to do. Or somebody else's calling and say, well, that's what I want to do. Because it seems like he has to tell more people what to do. And I want to tell more people what to do. I want more authority. I mean, I've seen it so many times where people are being so fruitful in their ministry. But then something gets in them. I guess we could call it the enemy temptation and they want more recognition or want to be noticed more whatever and 
The world wants us to think that we should always be climbing a corporate ladder of success. And we've kind of transferred that right into the body of Christ, right into the, to the church. And say, I just need to work up some kind of corporate ladder here to gain more and more influence and more and more say in what goes on. By the way, who gets to say what goes on in the church? It ain't me. It's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit among us. The gifts of God's Holy Spirit are given to each believer individually so that he or she may use that gift to build us all up. I mean, here's an illustration. Let's say someone has the gift of mercy and they're just absolutely phenomenal at being able to walk into a hospital room or a clinic or a home that has suffered loss and there's hurt in the person's life and they're just spiritually, supernaturally gifted to walk in, to be able to say the right word, to have the right empathy, show the right compassion. It's exactly what's needed. It's supernatural. And month after month, people who are hurting are touched by their ministry and God uses them in such effective ways. But then one day... This person thinks that this ministry is a little bit too much behind the scenes. It's not being noticed enough. And so they get this idea, I'm so good at this that I need to teach a class on how to show others how to show mercy. The problem is they have zero of the teaching gift. (laughs) None. They said, I'm going to write a book on how to help other people show mercy, and yet they have not the writing gift. In other words, they're not content to walk in the gifts and callings that God has so richly given them, and to see the value and the edification of the body and the meaning to the body of showing mercy. Another part of this passage, this verse Uh, brings this point out, do aspire for what you ought. Do aspire for what you ought. There's so many people today that just put themselves down. Oh, I could never do that. That's just not me. That's not what I'm, that's not what I like to do, perhaps. He says there is an aspiration that you ought to aspire for. Don't aspire for more than you ought, but you ought to aspire for something. And this encouragement is actually the opposite of the person I just described. This is the person who has been given a spiritual gift that he doesn't let be used. They're like Moses at the burning bush. You remember Moses' conversation with uh, with God, right? God called him to lead his people out of captivity. And Moses gave a list to to the Lord as to why the Lord is making a mistake. You ever done that? You ever given the Lord a list of things of why he's making a mistake? With your calling, he instructed the Lord as to why this wasn't a good idea. He said he stuttered and a leader needs to speak well. It's not me, Father. He tells God that the Israelites probably wouldn't believe that he was sent from God. They're not going to follow me. (laughs) He finally tells God to just flat send somebody else. You know what Exodus 3.14 says? This is God's response. It starts with this phrase, then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. There's something about God's gifts 
to us. He knows what he wants to do through you. He knows what he wants to do through you. He knows what he wants to do through you. He sees the potential in his gifts in you. He sees the actual results of his gifts and the fruit of the spirit that's going to be so expressed through your life. And for you to just say, no, I can't. You're saying more about what you believe about him than what you believe about yourself. You see, God has a plan. And it requires you to let him do what he wants to do in you. And help, let me help you understand this. God is not counting on you and your skill. You got that? God is not counting on you or your skill. He is counting on his power demonstrated through your life. I mean, how many times do we try to convince God that he's got the right, he's got the wrong man, he's got the wrong woman for the job? I mean, I've been through this in my own life. I've shared this with you before. I I mean, I've resisted, I resisted God's call to be a preacher and a pastor. I'm not the one who naturally enjoys being up front, contrary to what some of you think. I've always, I was always the quiet kid in class. Uh, I was always the kid that slid down in the seat when I saw the teacher looking around for somebody to call on. I never raised my hand to answer a question, even if I knew I was right. I told God, you you got the wrong guy. And at some point, I came into agreement with God's calling on my life. And yet, yet to this day, preaching is still a bit unnerving for me. And I'm just being honest with you. Is that all right? It's still just a... I'm not saying you unnerve me, okay? It's not my natural inclination, but do you see how the divine providence of God works in that? If there's ever any good that comes from it, guess what? It's God's grace. It's God's doing. It's God's power. And when Moses goes before the people and he throws down the staff and it turns into a snake and when he leads his people out and he holds up his staff and the Red Sea parts, is that Moses? No, that's the God using just an available soul who is willing to walk in the gifts and the callings. We have to have sensible aspirations that agree with God's plan. And that's the point of the verse. Sensible aspirations agree with God's plan. Aspire to what is sensible, which is God's calling. Okay, God, if you want me to do this, I will step in it and I will do this. I will walk this journey with you. It says according to faith's portion, and I don't want you to get confused with that. It doesn't mean that some are given a greater faith than others. It really doesn't mean that. The meaning is that God has measured out to each person of the faith his gifts and callings, and he has put his body together the way he wants to. He says it again down in verse 6 when he says that we've, we have gifts that differ according to the grace God has given to us. Bottom line is that God has spiritually gifted you and each of us should be completely focused on fanning the flame of God's gift in us. He says that to second, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. There are some of you out there that have the gift of encouragement, right? You have the gift of encouragement. You have this ability to supernaturally infuse courage. That's what it means. 
into somebody else's life. You know how to say it. You know when to say it. You can see it in somebody. You can see the weakness in somebody else's spirit and their faith. And you have a way of just speaking into their life. Fan it into flame. Use it. There are some of you that have the gift of leadership. Keep growing in your gifts so your influence spiritually impacts the body. We need the gift of leadership at work in the body. If you have the gift of teaching, study hard. Study diligently. Fan into flame the gift that God has put in your heart to be used as its fullest potential. And I want you to know before I go into the next verse that one of the greatest impairments, one of the greatest uh, problems in the body of Christ is this whole idea of comparing gifts. It's, it's, just, it's this whole idea of saying that I don't like the gift God has given to me or I wish I had a different one or I want to be more noticed and more recognized. The verse is saying don't elevate yourself and don't put yourself down. Both. Be sensible. Understand his calling For you, specifically. It strengthens the body. Verses 4 and 5 say, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And here's a newsflash. We are all different. Right? I mean, just look around. We're different. We all have different abilities, we all have different skills, but we also have different gifts, and we have different supernatural callings upon our lives. I know that we know that we're different, but sometimes we just need to hear once again that God has given me a specific function in this body called Grace Bible Church. If this is your church, if this is the place where you've said, I'm connecting with this body, I'm going to journey spiritually with this body, then he has given you a gift that he wants to employ and use to bring about the health of this local expression of his body. I mean, later in the chapter, he's going to give us a list of gifts to get us thinking about how we may have been gifted. But these verses here are more about establishing principles to understand how critically important this is. And the first principle is is that that we're different. We function differently. We have eyes in here and ears and hands and feet and toes and lungs and heart. And we have a multitude of spiritual gifts. We do have encouragers here. We have leaders. We have people who are gifted at showing mercy. We have teachers in this body. We have people who are gifted in generosity. Did you know that there is a gift of generosity? Did you know that there's a gift of generosity? Nobody's signing up for that one for some reason. I don't know. There is a gift of generosity. And it's at work in the body of Christ. There's a gift of preaching. Speaking God's word to his people. And all are needed. All are vitally important. And if not, the church is handicapped. Just as if. Your body is handicapped if there's something that's not working. I mean, can you imagine going to a church where no one is walking in the gift of encouragement? Can you imagine? Can you imagine going to a church where it seems like people have the gift of discouragement? (laughs) Or the gift is there and it's just idle and so the body is handicapped? And what if the gift of mercy just lay dormant and hurting people and never given hope? And what if those who have God have given the gift of leadership said, I'm just really too busy. 
I can't serve in leadership. I know I've got, I'm, I'm a leader at my office and in my job, but I'm just really too busy to, get, to give that gift to the church. It cripples the body. We're all needed. The verse says we are many, yet we are one body in Christ. And the way I express that is that we are family. We're family. Don't you like that? I mean, we're brothers. We're sisters. We're, we're family. In fact, did you know that spiritually we're more connected than biological families? Did you know that? The spiritual connection that we have is more distinct, more profound, even more life-giving than, than simple biological family. Spiritual DNA is the shared DNA of Jesus that you have and I have and we all have. It's his DNA in us. It binds us together. I mean, I thought about this when I was over in Moldova, and I'm around all these people that are not part of my American family. <laughs> they don't speak my language. They don't share this common history that I have. and They're outside of my group. But I tell you, when I'm in Moldova and I run into an American, we talk, you know? We immediately strike up a conversation. It's just like this last trip. I, 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 I ran into a bunch of Americans when I was touring this winery. <laughs> You know, it's a big deal in Moldova, these wineries, you know, it's their main export, right? Right, okay, and the guy I was with, Sasha, he says, you got to see this underground winery, they got all these roads underneath the ground, and it's just pretty impressive, I guess, you know, I don't know, but I don't know much about wineries. Yeah, okay. Anyway, we meet these Americans, waiting for the same tour that we're on, and we strike up a conversation. They're from Tennessee. I'm from Texas. Big deal, right? We talk about things. We understand each other. There's no accents. I mean, we just get it, okay? And we're talking about our trip and how we came over and where the cities we went through. We had this common language, these interests that were the same, and we just kind of knew each other from the beginning. And then we learned that we're both there on, the, they're there on a mission trip, and I'm here on a mission trip teaching and we're all Christians, and you're thinking, in a winery? But anyway, and so there's this bond that immediately joins us. It takes us to this next level of interaction, friendship. You see, we don't only, we don't only share a common language, a common culture. We all have the same DNA, spiritually, of Jesus. The verse says that um, not only are we all members... We're members one of another. One translation puts, us this, puts it this way. We belong to one another. Amen. I don't know, emotionally, that just gets me. I mean, we, you're my brothers and sisters. And I belong to you and you belong to me. And, and this section too, I'm sorry. Yeah, this section. I know. You're my brothers and my sisters. And I've kind of ignored you, haven't I? That's <laughs> all right. We are so talkative today, I tell you. You know, it's just so cool when the body of Christ is functioning in collaboration with each other, love for each other. We don't live separated, isolated lives. We belong to each other. We belong to this team. Speaking of team, didn't you enjoy the World Series this week? It is okay to clap, yes. 108 years how long it took those cubs 
I mean, that last game, Wednesday night, I mean, Thursday morning, early, Cubs win. It went to extra innings after this rain delay. Wow, was it exciting, right? I mean, I stayed up until it was all over. Cindy had already been snoozing for four hours before then, you know. It was almost one in the morning, and I was struck at what the Cubs talked about after the game in the interviews. They talked about each other. I hope you caught that. They said things like this, we all knew we had to stay together. Each person had to do his part if we're going to win this thing. Oh, when we gave up a four-run lead there in those late innings and we were forced to go into extra innings, oh, we just had this team meeting during that rain delay before the 10th and we just came together once again as a family. We were there for each other. In fact, all year we've been there for each other. When someone wasn't hitting well, well, the other people in the team, they just picked up the slack. This team has been amazing all year long. And I remember one guy said, I just love this team. And I, somehow I just thought, this is the way church is supposed to be. <laughs> Every person doing his job, receiving his encouragement when he's down, he's celebrating victories together. We weather storms together. I mean, sometimes even the world is able to recognize that without unity, there's not going to be any victory. Can you just imagine a group of Christians all functioning in the gifts of the Spirit? All loving each other, realizing that they belong to one another. I think we could do something more significant than even the Chicago Cubs. Amen? I think we can do something more significant than even the Chicago Cubs. That's their line to get up here, okay? Don't lose it. Because I'm here to announce to you today that Jesus is alive and He is well in the church. I'm here to tell you that it is Jesus that binds you and I together as brothers and sisters. It is Jesus who is risen. It is Jesus who is life in you and He's life in me. And it's life that expresses His love that we have for one another. And as we face this next week as a culture in America, we, the church, are not afraid of the future. We're not afraid of the future because we have each other in Christ Jesus. And the curse of sin has been broken. And the light that we share chases away the darkness. And we stand forgiven because He's alive. Because he's alive in his church. And there's a reason we're not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing on through the night. There's a reason why our hope is eternal. And it's because he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Would you stand and let's sing it. There's a reason why the curse of sin is broken. There's a reason why the darkness runs from light. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive. There's a reason why we are not overtake. Amen.
There's a reason why we sing on through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Jesus is alive.